Hey everybody, uh, just wanted to check in with an exciting update. Uh, I had mentioned before that uh, we're going to be turning the podcast into a Sefer, and Baruch Hashem, we're Zoha and Sefer Dvarim, right, the Torah for a growth-oriented Jewish team uh, for Sefer Dvarim is available now, uh, just in time for, for Dvarim. Uh, the link is below in the description if you want to order it. Um, yeah, super excited. Thank you so, so much to everybody who's helped uh, both support the podcast and support, uh, you know, the writing of the Sefer uh, through listening to the podcast and encouraging me and reaching out and everybody, really, everybody's been uh, tremendously positive uh, and I really can't thank you all enough. Uh, so yeah, go check it out. Um, runs about 177 pages, I think. Uh, and yeah, so you could have the, this podcast on your shelves uh, if you'd like. So go check it out. It's available on Amazon. And should get to you pretty quickly. Either way, have a great, great Chavez and be in touch and leave me some feedback whenever you can. Hope to speak to you soon. Have a good Chavez. Okay, it is uh, great to see everybody as, uh, as usual. Uh, I do want to give, as usual, again, a shout out to those uh, supporting this year on Patreon.com. Um, I have been like, uh, I've been kind of trying to figure out what kind of extra content to do for everybody. Uh, who's supporting the shir? So, Blue Nether, uh, I'm going to try and do a little bit of a Tish above schmooze, and I'll put that uh, on Patreon. There are a couple of girls who are not who are supporting the shir, but not on Patreon. So, I'll we'll Blue Nether try and uh, send it around to them as well. But I do very much uh, appreciate all the support uh, and really, really appreciate it. And then Mitz Shemuel, so I'll, I'll hopefully upload that uh, tonight or tomorrow um, as well. It'll be like 10, 15 minutes. Not not so long. Not like a real shir. Okay. Um, Safer Dvarim. We are here learning Dvarim. I really do wish people would study Dvarim more. Uh, we kind of miss it in our, like our school careers because like it's you know it's in the summer. So first of all, you never have like Parshat Shavuot with Mora Debi. You know, it's not, you never get that on Fridays in elementary school. Uh, you, it's a speech, so it's not as exciting coming off of Bar Midbar, which is action packed and all these scandals and stuff like that. So Dvarim kind of gets the shaft. Uh, but it's completely unlike, uh, unlike any other Sefer and Chumash, uh, aside from a couple of Parshios there in the middle. Uh, as the Sifri points out, so Rashi already points out in the first comments right on the Sefer, it's basically a Musr Sefer. Right? We, you could learn Sefer Dvarim like you learn Monsieur Shisharim. That would be the ideal. And again, Rav Asher White quotes uh, the Chosemi Lublin. Pazik says, first Pazik in the Sefer, says, Moshe Yisrael. Right? These are the things that Moshe spoke to all Jews i.e. that it, it speaks to all Jews, all time, us too, right, us included. It was Moshe's parting gift to Am Yisrael in the form of a of Musr and Tochacha. Uh, and Siv writes this in Hey McDover and his introduction. Bottom line, we're going to try and do it justice. We obviously have the confluence of uh, Tisha B'Av this year, falling out on Shabbos. Dvarim is always read on Tisha B'Av, uh, before the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av. Although someone told me that the Temanim uh, read Maseh. And not Dvarim, so if someone can confirm that, I have actually no idea. But okay, but we, we read Dvarim every year before uh, Tisha B'av, so there obviously is that theme as well. Uh, but let's go. Let's run through the parsha quickly, and then we'll uh, give a bunch of uh, bunch of hopefully deep ideas or uh, or meaningful ideas. Uh, just to recap, Moshe begins his Musr uh, by hinting at all the sins the Jews did in the Midbar. Right, he hints at them. He doesn't say it openly. He does that later. Uh, but first, he hints at like stuff like the golden calf and Benos Moav, etc. Um, and that's how he starts. He recaps the fact that he appointed judges in the time of Yisro to help him deal with the Jews and all their shilas and all their questions. 
he recaps the Chetam Raglim in depth. This is already much more open, full of details, and Musr, and rebuke, and Psukim-like. Uh, you didn't believe in Hashem, and Vatamruas Pi Hashem Elokechem. You rebelled against Hashem. This is already uh, not the majority of the parsha, but it's it's a lengthy critique. Uh, Moshe recaps that they were not allowed to go pass through the lands of Seir, which was Esav and Moab. They had to go around. Uh, he mentions that they spent 38 years in the desert, right? The Miraglim happened in the second year, so 2 plus 40, right? 2 plus 38 is 40. Right? That the generation of the spies died out until finally it's time to go to Nehru Tisrael. Uh, he recaps the, the defeat, the wartime victory and the defeat of Sichon and Og. Um, he mentions how Ruvain, God, and Chatzisheva and Menashe took the portion on the other side of the Yardain in Sichon and Og's land. And he finishes off the parasha by saying how he chose Yoshua to lead after he's gone, and then Hashem will give the nations of Eretz Israel into their hands, and they will be victorious. Now, that's the recap. Tetachlis. Before you talk about Sefer Dvarim, you have to talk about Musr in general. Um, even though the Pazik says, it's a Pazik in the Kedoshim, Sefer Achinoch counts that as one of the 613. But even though that's true, both giving Musr and hearing Musr are extremely difficult. Right? Human nature is such that it is so difficult for us to hear about our own faults, right? And, and therefore it's hard, even when you have the most well-meaning person, right, to tell someone else about their faults, it's, it's very, very difficult. Right? Vashar Weiss already points out that there's a Gemara and a Safri. A Safri is like a Medrash. Right? There's a Gemara and a Safri that kind of illustrate how impossible, how difficult this is. The way it's phrased in the Gemara and Erechen, Daftev uh, Zayin, so Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says he'd be shocked if there was anyone in his generation who knew how to give Musr. This is Tanaim talking, like, you know, like legit, you know. He'd be shocked if there's anybody in his generation who knew how to give Musr. And Rabbi Tarfun says he'd be shocked if there's anybody in his generation that knew how to receive Musr. The free says it a little differently. The conversation is between Rabbi Tarfun and Rabbi Akiva. Uh, the phrase there is that the avoda of our generation is to figure out how to accept or give Musr. But bottom line, there's a good reason why we tell, you know, let's say some girls who come back from Sem, don't run into the kitchen yelling and screaming about all the halachos of kashras that your parents aren't keeping, and oh my god, the whole kitchen is trafe, and I can't believe I ever ate anything you cooked for me. Aside from the fact that you may not necessarily know what the halacha is, uh, even if you do, right, there's a way to give musr, uh, and it requires a, a massive amount of thought and preparation and understanding. So, so let's dive in a little bit. Even, because again, it's a mitzvah, right? It's a musr and rebuke, giving and taking are a crucial aspect of a person's uh, spiritual growth, right? You're going to want to have friends that feel comfortable enough to give you criticism, right? Certainly, certainly, if you can't get it from your friends, you're definitely want to, going to have the type of relationship with your spouse where it'll be open enough and loving enough to be like, hey, listen, that wasn't the greatest. Right? Again, we can't do the self-improvement ourselves, right? We're off a human nature that we're blind to our own faults. I just, uh, you know... People always need other people to look things over. We can't see the flaws in ourselves and in our work. If a person uh, is writing a piece of content or a person is doing something artistic with a painting or whatever, or music or anything, a paper, right? proofreading, right? you always need someone else to look at something that you're creating. And certainly when we're talking about ourselves right, and our actions, we very often can't see it ourselves. So we need someone else to tell us. So advice on giving muster and also taking muster. First of all, in terms of giving Musr, that's actually not the end of the Sifri. I didn't quote the whole thing. It continues, and Rabbi Yochanan says, right, Rabbi Yochanan continues, it says, I testify before Shemaim Varetz that Rabbi Akiva wanted to give me Musr, 
And Rabbi Yochanan says that one, what did Rabbi Kiva do when he wanted to give me Musr? I knew that he would add on love to me. Says of Rosh when you give someone Musr, you notice something. Listen, you care about them and you're trying to tell them honestly. You need to give it with love, right? You got to throw your arm around someone and be like, listen, I love you. You know I love you, right? And I don't judge, right? Good. I just wanted to mention blah, 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 blah. Again, Rosh Hashanah says that this is similar to what Moshe was doing. He started out with hints right, towards the sins of Amish. He didn't begin by blasting them, although he gets pretty intense if you keep on going. But he didn't begin the Musr Shmuz by blasting Amisrael. He simply hinted to all the sins right, in the Midbar. Right? That's the first puzzle. Rashi explains. It's all veiled references to all the... He didn't hit them over the head with it. Right? So the first thing is to speak softly, with love, right, without being harsh. The second thing is that Moshe was also Melamed Tzchus. Right? The Gemara says that one of the things that Moshe hinted to in the first post over there, he says the phrase, Dizahav. That remember we were in the Midbar and Dizahav. Well, I'm not going to quote it for you now. But Dizahav is a ref- reference, as you might expect, to the golden calf. So I get the Zahav. Zahav is gold. What's D? What is Dizahav? So the Gemara Baruch is Daflam Abayz. Rabbi Yane says that Moshe, at the same time, he was giving Moshe to Amisrael, but he was also defending the Jews to Akash Baruch right? He was defending Am Yisrael back then when they did the, the Chet Ego, right? And also, I'm not sure if it's now also, but definitely when they did the Chet, Hashem defended them. And he said, listen, Akash Baruch who gave them all the gold? Right? They were slaves. They had nothing, right? When they left Egypt, you said, listen, please ask for gold and silver. You gave them all these golden jewels, even after Yam, uh, Kriyas Yamsuf, right? When the Egyptians washed up on the, on the shore, right? the Jews looted their chariots, which was filled with more gold and silver. So they basically, right, until they had the word, until they had said the word die, until they said enough, they had so much possession, so much gold and silver, right? until they said die, I said, we don't, it's enough, I can't carry all of it. That's the Dizahav. So it says Moshe, what do you expect the Bnei to do with it? Right, the Gemara doesn't have it, say this exactly, but the implication is that B'nai Israel were in Egypt for 210 years. Right, what do you expect? They were worshipping Avodah Zarah the entire time. Right? They leave Egypt. 49 days later, they're standing at Har Sinai with Revelation. What do you expect? The Rambam writes this. What do you expect? Right, people ask, how could they have... Uh, so the Rambam writes that. How could, people ask, how could they have done the Chet Egel so soon, 40 days after right, Maimon Har Sinai, after they saw lightning, thunder, God spoke to them. So Rambam says, questions backwards. How could they not have done it? Right? They, you spend 210 years doing something, and all of a sudden, in, in two, less than two months, you expect someone to break their habits? That's not how habits work. Right? So how, what did you expect? Moshe was being Muhammad Tzchus. He was defending them. Rabbi Yochanan, in that same Gemara, says it a little bit more pointedly, a little bit more graphically. He said, it's like a father who had a son. Father washes his son, anoints him with oil and perfume, feeds him, give him wine, gives him wine, hangs a pouch of money around his neck, throws him in a carriage, and drops him off at the local whorehouse. What do you expect is going to happen? That's what <laughs> the Gemara says this. So that's what Moshe was doing. He was being malamid tzchus on B'nai Yisrael's sins. And this is something that we need to do as well. When we're giving Musr, so before you give Musr, make sure you've considered all the angles. Right? You saw your friend eat treif. Well, maybe they were sick, and that's what the doctor said to eat it. Okay, that's an extreme example that the Gemara gives. But... Uh, you saw them come late to shul? Well, maybe something happened at home and they had to help their mom, etc. Whatever. Make sure you've covered all the angles. Make sure you've been malam b'tzchus. Make sure you're done like tzchus. And that's a crucial aspect. When giving muster, you can even say this to your friend. 
Like, you know, I thought maybe this, maybe that. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm not sure if maybe, you know, you could just throw it in there that you thought you were malabit schus, you were down the kaf schus on them. And if it happens to be that, you know, you were struggling or you didn't know the halacha or something, so here's the muster I want to give you. Now, rebuking kids, right, again, is, is ch- and children is a different schmooze for another time. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about friends and spouses. Um, but that's giving muster. So again, just in terms of giving Musr, do it with love and always be down the kaf schus. And even you can even say that to them. Uh, and then if you, you know, if whatever reason you were sinning, so then I'm going to give you a little bit of Musr. That's giving Musr. What about accepting Musr? That's a different story. Right? How do you take Musr? Right? When our, national, our natural inclination is to be hurt, right? our ego gets tainted, right? no matter how nice it is. Right? Now, even if they use those two methods, right? no matter how you know, soft it is, People are still going to be upset. So Rav Nassim Finkel says you can actually answer this from the Aftorah. Right? We told, call the Shabbos Shabbos Chazon. That's based on the visions of Yeshayo. Right? That's, that's how it starts. Chazon Yeshayo Right. So that one of the psukim in their earlier in the, in the early part of the Aftorah, and early it's the, it's the first part of the Sefer. So in Paragraph it says Vidashor Konehu Vechamor Evos Baalav that the ox knows its master, the donkey knows who fills its trough, meaning who gives it food, but Yisrael lo yada. Kosh Baruch Hu, did, uh, Bnei Yisrael did not know. They didn't know their master. Right? Yeshayah was contrasting Bnei Yisrael to animals, right? Animals always know right, their master and where their next meal is coming from. Right? Bnei Yisrael, on the other hand, they don't. Why not? So the Pasuk ends, right? Ami lo hitbonein. Because my nation, litbonein, right, is, is to think, is to self-analyze. Like we're talking about in Mesir Yishar, right, that my nation did not self-analyze. They did not think about the, the Musr and the messages they were getting from the Nevi'im and the Tzaddikim in the door. So how does a person take proper Musr? Right? How do you come to recognize right, a person's own faults? It says there's nothing to think It's Lisbonain. It's to think about yourself. It's to self-analyze. Someone who doesn't think, right, doesn't choose. Someone who doesn't choose isn't free. Right? They're just stuck and dragged along by their physical desire and their natural inclinations. Right? That's the purpose of Musr. That's what Nelson said, right? That's the purpose of Musr. And the way to take Musr, even after the sting and the pain of, hey, I'm not doing anything wrong, what are you talking about? Right? Is to go back and think about it later. Right? When it doesn't hurt as much, right? At night when you're going to bed, or the next day, right? when you've slept on it, right? Think about the Musr that you got, right? Maybe you'll decide that your friend or your spouse is wrong, and that's fine, and that you were justified in whatever actions you took, and that's okay. But often enough, right, you'll realize that your friend is right. Um, and then you'll be able to accept it and kind of think about it and, and maybe, maybe take it to heart. But either way, that's the way to live life. Right? That's the way to take Musr, right? after the initial hurt, right? come back and self-analyze. And those are a couple of eights in terms of giving Musr and taking Musr that we see already from, from Moshe Rabino at the beginning uh, of the save. Okay. As I mentioned before, we read Dvarim before Tishabov. So, why do we do this? So, a little drush, first of all, and then the simple shot. The first two Rashi's basically say that, uh, as I mentioned before, that these are different to for all of Am Yisrael, right? Moshe again, Rashi writes that Moshe couldn't have spoken to some of Bnei Yisrael because everybody else who didn't hear the shmuz would have been like, "Oh, it doesn't apply to me." Right? If I was there, I would have said something. Right? So when you put them together, these are Musa, This is Musa that everyone needs to hear. Right? No one is putter. Right? If the base of this is not rebuilt by Shabbos, Chas Shalom, it's on all of us. And no one can claim that they were absolved. No one can claim the Musr doesn't apply to them. So we read Dvarim because everybody has a part. Right? The base of this is not rebuilt. It's, in a real sense, all of our faults. So that, that's A. That first pasuk is crucial, and we have to really think about that on Tishbov and during the nine days. The second 
the, the other two reasons, which I think is more Pashup Shah, uh, why we read Dvarim before Tishbav, because first of all, it's a lengthy discussion, as I mentioned, about the Chetam Raglim, which happened on Tishbav, right? That's a Gemara in Tainus, at the end of Tainus, that says, right, if you cried for no reason, right, so I'm going to give you a reason to cry, Kosh Baruch Hu said to Bnei Israel, and we talked about that a little bit by Pasha Shlach. But the second, the second reason we read it before Tishbav is one of the Psukim early in Rishon. The Pasuk says Moshe is telling Bnei Israel that he had a really difficult time dealing with all of them by himself, so he had to appoint Shoftim, etc., and judges to help him kind of deal with Bnei Yisrael. And the Pesach there says, Eicha Moshe said, How can I carry you by myself? Tarchachem, Masachem, Verivachem. Right? Your, your frustrations, your burdens, and your arguments. The Bnei Ashkenaz, for Ashkenazim, we read that in Eicha Trup, in Megillas Eicha Trup. It's almost like an ode. It's like a preview of like what's coming. But what, but, but what is this Pesach? Meaning... Yes, Eicha is a cute linguistic coincidence. Moshe said Eicha, the Megillah starts with Eicha, right, the Navi, Navi says Eicha. It, can't be, it has to be more than that. So Rav Mordechai Willa, get, uh, he's one of the Rosh Hashiva, why you? So he points out an amazing parallel to Tisha B'av. If you look at Rashi, what are the three things Moshe said? Moshe said, I can't deal with all of you people. Tarchachem, Masachem, Verivichem. Your frustrations, your burdens, and your arguments. What's going, over there, going on over there? So Rashi explains, right? He quotes, the, he quotes that these are referring to how Bnei Yisrael conducted themselves in Beisden, in court. right? Or when, they're, when they're waiting to have some sort of court case with Moshe or whatever it was. Tarchachem, what's your frustrations? Rashi writes that they would bother each other in court. If Reuven saw that Shimon was about to win the case, he, he would be like, oh, I have, I have more witnesses. I have more proofs. Uh, delay the case. Prolong the case. I have more to say. Now, that's again, that's within the realm of halacha. That's certainly within a person's legal right to do so. But if you know, it's like a filibuster, if you know anything about politics. It's not going to win you the case. It's just going to delay things and make things annoying. So that's what they would do. They, they wouldn't be like, oh, I guess I'm losing. They would just add witnesses and they would add arguments, etc., etc. That's A. And we'll explain all, all three of these uh, a little bit further. B, Masachem, is your burdens. Rashi says that means that they were Abid Korsim. That they would see Moshe leaving court early. They would be like, why is he leaving? Maybe there's trouble in his house. Maybe there's not Shalom Bias with him and Sipporah or whatever. If Moshe would stay late, they would be like, why is he staying late? Maybe he's conniving against you, trying to figure out how to make you chayef or how to make you potter or whatever. They didn't treat Moshe Benin with any respect. And finally, Rivachem, the arguments, right? They were whiny, they were irritable, they were argumentative, right? They, they fought with each other. They, they had all these, uh, all the time. Says of Willig, those three things actually parallel different Gemaras that discuss why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. Now, we know the famous reasons why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, right? Again, the big three for the first Beis HaMikdash and Sinas Chinam for the second Beis HaMikdash. But the Gemara actually, in several different places, actually gives a lot of reasons why the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. The Gemara above Metziah, just for the first one, right, uh, when they talk about uh, Tarek HaChem, right, your bothers, that the Bnei Israel would kind of like use the filibuster, if you, if you will. So the Gemara above Metziah says that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because Bnei Israel did not go lifnim mishura sadin, which means beyond the letter of the law. And they, they didn't, they, they stuck to the literal letter of the law. So in court, they're allowed to bring more witnesses and bring more arguments and all this type of stuff, even though it's kind of really not going to help. Right? It's legally legal, but it's kind of just not accepting what the ultimate outcome is going to be. Right? If you saw your friend winning the case, you use all legal means to delay and forestall. Is it illegal? No. Is it also No. But it's not emistic. It's not within the spirit of the law. It's not the purpose of all these halachos. I mean, that's lesson number one, that there is a spirit of the law. There's a purpose to Torah law. It's not just a rule book that we follow blindly. 
right? As Rav Hashem often says, right? There's a Ratzon Torah. There's a way the Torah wants you to live your life. And right? if you do your Shadlis and it looks like your friend's going to win the court case, okay. So yes, you do whatever you need to do in Echanami. But at, if the end of the day, the judgment is against you, so the judgment is against you. And a cult with Yishamayim, right? Beisdin is called Elohim. That's not... Not, I'm not referring to God. I'm referring to Beisdin. In the Torah, the Torah calls Beisdin Elohim because Hashem is behind the judges. Right? He gives them something to Shmaya and rejecting the court cases like they're rejecting the Ashkachas of HaKadosh Baruch. So that's A. Just to jump to the third word because it kind of ties in. Rivichem. What's Rivichem? That they were argumentative. That's the Gemara that you all know, the Gemara in Yoma, that it was Sinaschinam that destroyed the Beis Hamitash. They would fight all the time. Right? People were argumentative and would bother each other, always fighting. That's one of the reasons Beis Hamikdash was destroyed as well. And Masachem, right, being uh, what, is asking why was Moshe wait, late, why was he early? Maybe this is Shalom bias, etc. Zukamarsha says in the, towards the end of Shabbos and Dafkuf Yutas that Beis Hamikdash was destroyed because Bnei Israel denigrated their Talmidei Chachamim, didn't treat them with respect. So there you go. So that's three things that Bnei Israel right, struggled with, and Moshe was giving them Musar in that pasuk, and sure enough. They didn't learn the lesson, and they struggled with it for thousands of years later. And those are three things that ultimately caused the Beis Hamikdash to be destroyed. And unfortunately, we haven't learned that lesson either. Right? We definitely don't treat our Talmidei Chachamim with proper respect. Unfortunately, we have the same sin as Chinam. I haven't really been involved in court cases and stuff like that, but unfortunately, we are very quick to judge our friends uh, according to the literal letter of the law. Uh, we give ourselves a lot of leeway when it comes to the halacha and the law, but once you're judging your friends, so... Unfortunately, we judge them very harshly. Harshly. Bottom line, we have these three things to work on. Right? Based on Mikdash, Mitzvah Hashem will be rebuilt. But if it's not, right, these are three of the things that we have to definitely take care of. Okay, shifting gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about the Milo of Eretz Yisrael. Um, it's always a good time. You can always talk about the greatness of Eretz Yisrael. The Torah talks about it all the time. Uh, but it's it's uh, especially uh, kind of fascinating over here. A very underrated Rashi, but it really, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz says it beautifully. Basically, like just quickly, Moshe recounts basically how Bnei was supposed to travel to Eretz Israel, and he describes the borders of the land, not how we had last week in last week's parsha, but he just kind of mentions basically where they're supposed to go, and he calls, he says that until right Ad Hanahar Hagadol Nahar Paras, and he said you're supposed to go to Eretz Israel until the great river. The Euphrates, the Nahar, the Nahar Paras. Rashi says it actually wasn't so great. It wasn't so big. When Rashi and Bresha says it was actually the smallest of all the rivers listed in the beginning of Bresha's. So, but why did he call it the big river? Because, Rashi says, because it was mentioned in conjunction with Eretz Yisrael. So it's called the great river. And it says, Rashi, like the servant of the king, is called the king. Right, again, amongst the servants, the servants of a king is the greatest of the servants. So obviously there are many again there are many I don't know, I mean, there are many sources that discuss the greatness of Eretz Yisrael. Right? The Medrash in uh, Vaikur Rabbah says in Torah Kitaris Eretz Yisrael. Right? You wonder why we have Sem in Eretz Yisrael and not in I don't know like the, the Colorado Rockies because right? it's a spiritual power that you don't have. Right? You don't have by going to study Torah in Muncie or Lakewood or whatever. Right? The Gemara Bracho says that Kimitzion right? We know that Torah comes from Zion. Right? Nevuah can only happen in Eretz Yisrael. That's why you want to run away. Right, uh, Chazal asked about Yecheskel, who prophesied outside of Eretz Yisrael. Right? Eretz Yisrael is the bomb. Says Rav Chaim Shmuel Levitz, we who live in Eretz Yisrael, again, he's talking in the mirror, in the mirror yeshiva, Rav Chaim Shmuel Levitz, 50, 60, 70 years ago, we who live in Eretz Yisrael don't appreciate its greatness. Right? And I, speak to, I, I speak to myself, and you guys are just listening right now. I definitely don't appreciate Eretz Yisrael's greatness. A friend of mine told me he moved to Eretz Yisrael 18 years ago, and he hasn't left. Right? I don't think there's been 18 months where I haven't left 
at some point since I moved to Israel. They say about Rav Nevinsal that uh, that he used to fly when he had to, had to leave Eretz Israel to fundraise and stuff. So he used to fly in the last seat of the plane when he was leaving and the front first seat of the plane when he was coming back. Is that true? I don't know. But they don't tell those stories about me and you. And that's my Rebbe used to always say that. I don't know if it's true. But Tachlis, Eretz Israel is amazing. And we find a fascinating medrash in this week's Parsha. Fascinating medrash, Devarim Rabbah and Perik uh, in uh, Be'ez Ches, says that Moshe asked the Kosh Baruch Hu, why are Yosef's bones going into Israel and not mine? I understand, right? I, okay, you want me to die here? I'm not going to set foot in there. It's all fine. Why can't I be buried there? So Hashem said back to him, fascinating. Because Yosef was proud that he was from Eretz Yisrael and, and then proud that he was a Jew and you weren't. What does that mean? So Moshe wasn't born in Eretz Yisrael. He never set foot in Eretz Yisrael. But when Yosef was a slave in Egypt, he said, he made sure everybody knew he was from Eretz Yisrael. Right? Potiphar's wife called him Ish Ivri. Right, he's from Avril Anar. He's from Eretz Israel. Yosef told Paro he'd been kidnapped from Eretz Israel. Right, Gernov Gunavtim Eretz Ha'Ivrim. Right, he was proud. He always mentioned Eretz Israel. You, Moshe, though, what happened when Moshe went to Midian? Right, Yisro's daughter. Again, this is the Medrash talking. It's not me. I would never say this, but the Medrash says you, Moshe, when you went to Midian, Yisro's daughters called you Ishmitri. Right, Ishmitri. He said, "Let me Adam." Right, Ishmitri helped us, and you didn't say anything. Again, now, Rav Chaim Shpilevitz points out that's pretty shocking because, again, they didn't call him Ish Mitzri because he was acting like a Mitzri. It wasn't a referendum on his Yiddishkeit. And it was about how he was dressed, right? Moshe had run away. He just ran away from Egypt. So he looked like an Egyptian. But, okay, was it dangerous for him to admit he was a runaway slave? No. The language of the Medrash says, right, Mishalo hode be'artso lo nikvar be'artso. If someone is not uh, associated with his land, he's not going to be buried there. So it says Rav Chaim, if we want to leave Eretz Yisrael, we have to be shaykh to the land. Right, we have to be proud of Eretz Yisrael. Right, he proves this from Slavska's daughters. We didn't really spend so much time talking about Slavska's daughters. One of the heroes, the heroines of Am Yisrael, in my opinion. Right, Rashi says, when they came to Moshe asking for a chilek in Eretz Yisrael, it wasn't because they were power hungry or they wanted money. It's because they loved Eretz Yisrael. Right, Rashi quotes by the Maraglim. Right, the women did not die because of Chet Maraglim. The women in the Dora Midbar did not, did, I don't know if you even realize that, they did not die out in the 40 years in the Midbar. Why? Because they loved Eretz Yisrael and they wanted to go. Rav Chaim Shmulevit says an unbelievable thing. That, that, what do you mean they didn't, why, why weren't the women punished? What do you mean? They loved Eretz Yisrael so they, so they weren't punished? So it says Rav Chaim, an unbelie- unbelievable. It could very well be that the reason the Bnei Yisrael were forgiven for the Chet Egel, but not the Chet Maraglim, is because it wasn't a punishment. It was just an obvious result of their actions. Why? Because they made a mistake. How you ever understand that? Fine, they did tshuva. But by the chitim Maraglim, what, what happened by the Maraglim, which Moshe, again, talks about at length in this week's parsha? it showed they didn't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. Right? Bnei Yisrael were just not down. They were not interested. Right? They, they had conflicting reports. The Ten Maraglim said it was terrible, it was a disaster. Two Maraglim said it was great. Moshe said it was great. And they, they cried all night. And that was how we ended up here at Tishabov. It, sh- it just showed that they weren't interested in, in Eretz Yisrael. What are you going to do now? You're going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I actually do want to go. <laughs> that doesn't work. You already showed, showed a coach bar who you're not interested. So, okay. So, Hashem said, okay. So, you guys stay here in the Midbar. You're going to die. Not a punishment per se, but you go, what else am I supposed to do? The Jews have to go to Eretz Yisrael. You're not interested. It's okay. So, we'll go without you. So, that, so, the, the, so the women came. The women were not like that. Uh, so the first lesson, and that's really, again, he proves from Slavkot, etc. So that's the first lesson. The first lesson is to appreciate Eretz Yisrael, right? And be proud. 
that uh, you know you spend time in Eretz Yisrael, and if you're coming back to Eretz Yisrael, right? Again, listen, life is good in Chutzlaretz, but it's not our destiny, right? That's that's the message of uh, of, of this idea and, and Tishavav also, right? That we need to have a longing for Eretz Yisrael right? and appreciation for the goodness that the women of, of the generation of the Midbar had, right? They appreciated the greatness of Eretz Yisrael. Again, sometimes it gets lost in the same year, but like you know, all with all the stress, but Eretz Yisrael is amazing. Again, the food is different, it's a different climate, you're not getting all the physical comforts you're used to, and the weather is different. But listen, right? the air here makes people smarter, whatever, that's a, whatever, that's a phrase, that's a Gemara. Uh, it's Eretz Zavash Chalav Udavash. Yeah, just have to take a step back and appreciate it. Second thing I want to mention in conjunction with this Medrash is something I just kind of referenced in passing, but it's crucial to highlight nowadays. Yosef was proud of his heritage. And therefore, he was rewarded by being buried in Eretz Yisrael. Right? He associated himself as a Jew. Right? That is so important nowadays. Like, for example, I, when I used to shmooze with guys, guys interviewing for jobs in the city, whatever, I would always be like, why are you taking off your yarmulke? I don't know if it's common nowadays. It definitely was common 20 years ago. Right? Why would you take your yarmulke off for an interview? Yeah, not to rip on anybody, but the Muslims wear hijabs and the Sikhs wear those turbans. And the black people wear do-rags or whatever. I don't know. A kippah is not the weirdest thing people are wearing nowadays. Okay? Like, if you're nervous on being like, if you're nervous about being attacked in the subway, like a friend of mine was last week, that's different. You know, you travel to Europe, you put on a baseball cap. Who's gonna know? Right? <laughs> a bunch of Jews wearing polos and khakis and baseball caps, riding on buses in Madrid, saying hi to each other. Okay. So, someone asked me recently if they could shave for an interview during the nine days. I'm like, dude, have you just? Have you seen what the hipsters look like? A beard. Everybody's wearing a beard. What is the beard? It's not weird anymore. Right? Don't be embarrassed. Don't be, be proud. Be proud to be a Yid. Right? Don't be embarrassed. Believe me, you are not the weirdest looking person right, in the city or, or anywhere nowadays. Right? Always be proud of being a Yid. Okay. Shifting gears yet again. In Dvarim, again, it, it, the reason it's, it's a little bit more maybe herky-jerky as opposed to the other schmoozes is that in Dvarim, instead of like analyzing like a story, sometimes you have to just like take one pasuk because Moshe is giving a bunch of different messages and the psukim are not necessarily bunched together. Sometimes they are, but sometimes you have to just take one pasuk and analyze it. So there is a pasuk here I want to give two pshatim on uh, that brought down by Chazal and uh, they're really beautiful and, and super powerful in terms of their messaging. So in the middle of recapping what Bnei Israel uh, didn't conquer Seir, which is, again, the land of Esau and, and, and Moab as well, right? And uh, we were told to buy food from them, etc. So Moshe told Bnei Israel not to worry because Hashem had blessed them. Pazig is, uh, if you want to look it up, it's Devar and Perik Bey's Pazig Zayin. It says, Ki Hashem elokecha beracha b'chom ha'asayadecha. Hashem has blessed you in everything that you do. Right? You know how you traveled through the Midbar 40 years. Hashem elokecha imach, Hashem was with you. You weren't missing anything. It says in the Siva Shalom, Shalom Rebbe, quotes the Maggot of Kojnitz. says, this Parsha is always read during the nine days. So you need to look for messages in the Parsha to uplift us during this time. Pazik hints that even in the darkest times, right, when you're in the Midbar, right, when the Midbar is desolate, right, there is no food, there is no water, you are in a bad way. If you are in the Midbar by yourself, you are toast. So, even during that time, and in our lives, if we're in darkness, again, still, Hashem Hashem is with you. You're not missing anything. You're not lacking anything. Hashem is even blessing everything you're doing. Again, you guys know that song. 
And that uh, even if times are bad, even if we're down, even if you're in the what they call the bechina of the forty years of the desert, even even if you're in a dark place, so still you have to realize that Kosh Baruch has got you. And not only does Hashem got you, not only does He have you, not only is He taking care of you, but He's given you everything you need. Right? You're not lacking anything. Right? Slonim Rebbe quotes the Gemara in Yoma. Right? Gemara in Yoma that probably you're familiar with, or you're, at least you'll hear, and all the shmuzim that you hear around the Tishabav, that when the Babylonians entered the Kodesh Kadoshim, they saw the Kruvim embracing each other. Right? Again, even when times are terrible, Akash Baruch Hu loves us, right? And Medrashen Eicha says that Hashem, instead of destroying Bnei Yisrael, He took His anger out on sticks and stones. Right? Think about how much of a chesed that is. Hashem wanted to destroy us, and He's like, mm, I'll just shoot the fireball at that building over there. That's a tremendous chesed. Right? Again, we don't see it like that. If you just look at the facts, if you just look at it from a bird's eye view, you don't see it like that. But once you delve into it, if you have a Muna Bitachon, you have the proper perspective. So you realize that a Kosh Baruch Hu's got you. Uh, if you read the Divrei Torah of the Pirizetz Rebbe in Eish Kodesh, chilling, chilling Divrei Torah written in the Warsaw Ghetto, and they're, chi- they're literally chilling to read when you realize the context of where he's, he's talking and schmoozing. So the one about Shabbos Chazon, about you know the one this week's Parsha is... I don't want to say terrifying, but it's it's wild. Um, but I don't want to go through it right now, but it, because I'm happy to schmooze if you want, and I'll leave a voice note on anybody who wants me to just tell it over later. But basically, in the middle, he says that knowing a Kosh Baruch who's back is like when a father takes his son for surgery. He knows it's for the kid's good, but he's in. He knows the kid's going to be in pain, and it hurts the father. So it's the same thing with Kosh Baruch He loves us the entire time, even though he has to exile us, he has to you know, punish us, teach us lessons because we didn't learn the lessons otherwise. Right? Kosh Baruch still loves us the entire time. So that's crucial. That's lesson number one. You got to remember that even Bamidbar, even in the darkest times, even when you're in a desolate place, Kosh Baruch not only has got your back, but he's giving you everything that you need. Another shot in that puzzle, totally unrelated. Says of Melech Biederman. We'll talk about this more in Parshas Ekev Mitzvah Shem in a couple of weeks. But uh, is the way that a person needs to look at their, their parnasa, the way they need to look at the money they make, the jobs they get, the way they make a parnasa, a sustenance. And a friend of mine put it very well. In Eretz people are not interested in money; they're interested in parnasa, at least amongst the from people. Right? Money is not. An, we just want to make a good living, take care of our kids, give them a nice life, etc. Take care of the wife, etc., etc. They want parnasa. So the way a person has to look at their parnasa, the message is also not hidden. It's pretty. If you just read it, it's pretty well thought out there, and the puzzle as well. Again, the Gemara says in Beitzah and Daftah that a person's parnasa is fixed on Rosh Hashanah. It's fi- that's the number. You get the number. It's written down. That's what you're getting, except for three things. Right? What you spend on Shabbos, what you spend on Yontif, and what you spend on your children's education. Right? And the more you spend, the more you get back. The less you spend, the less you get back. But again, in terms of the first thing, we get a set number. That's the amount of parnasa you're getting. Yes, we have to do our Ishtadlus in Echanami, but the parnasa is from Hashem. Right? The money does not come from your job. If you trust in the job, right? If you think it's the business that you brilliantly built and caused all your successes, and it's not coming from a kosh baruch then you're lacking emuna. Uh, to give a perfect, a great example, there's a kid uh, who is designing uh, cleats. I know it sounds random. Athletes like to have designed custom cleats. So there's a Jewish kid, YU kid, who is a brilliant artist. And he literally posts videos about him dropping off cleats by all these legit superstar athletes. Now, it's summer, so he does for baseball, but football, etc. He is not any more brilliant than the next 
I would argue. I don't know anything about art or shoe art. Maybe he is brilliant. I don't know. But he's not any more brilliant or more matzliach than the next shoe artist. But Hashem is making it. He's, he's, he's killing it. Hashem is giving him bracha. He, same thing with, you know, and anything. Same thing with musicians. Same thing with businessmen. Same thing with anything. Hashem blesses what we do. As the Yalka Shimoni says, Lechtecha, right, in the Pasuk, right, Lechtecha, what is the Pasuk there? Lechtecha is a Mabaragadol Azar by You walked throughout the desert for 40 years. That shows how much a person is worried about his Parnasa. A person has to remember that don't worry about where you're walking. You should just, Akash Baruch Hu's got you. Akash Baruch Hu's on his own Kulo Batuva. Akash Baruch Hu is giving you the Parnasa. And Rav Melech quotes Degel Machme Yehuda, which is the Stratna Mareba. Stratamareba? I'm not sure. Anyway, so he says the same thing based on another Pasuk in the Parsha, right? We quoted it before. It says, Now the context over there, Moshe says, In this thing you don't believe in a Baruch Hu. So that context is talking about the Maraglim, but I think. Yeah, the Maragla. But it says uh, the Stratum Rebbe, no, it's also p- p- talking about Parnasa. If, if you believe in Badavarazeh, so then Inchemanim then you're not believing in a Kosh Baruch. Right? You believe, if you believe in your own business job, business venture, whatever, and you don't believe in Hashem, so that's not the, that's not the proper, proper, appropriate way to view how you work and your Parnasa and how Kosh Baruch is going to bless you. So, for example, you're, you want to get a job as, I don't know, as a doctor. And you could spend 14 hours at a high-pressure doctor job, you know, making yourself mashuga, or you could get a doctor job at 10 hours, and you'll have time for your kids and your, fa- you know, and your family and other Jewish interests or whatever. What's better? Right? Again, the parnasa it might be that you're getting a different salary. That's true, but at the end of the year, it's going to even out because a kosh baruch is signing the number you're getting at the beginning of the year. It's not based on your job. Right? So as a friend said, like uh, one of my Rebbeim friends used to say that whenever he has some sort of like maybe some sort of threat of payment, someone's coming for him for money, he, he immediately gives tzedakah. Why? That's well, like taxes or whatever, or some sort of maybe like might lose money. He says, it's a coach who goes there that I'm going to lose $1,000. Why should I pay that $1,000 to the mechanic to fix my car? I'd much rather give it to tzedakah. Now that's a, that's a high level, but that's the idea. That's the way to think about it. Right, Parnasa comes from Akash Baruch Hu. The number at the end of the year is whatever Hashem signed for at Rosh Hashanah. Question is, how you're going to put it through your shtadlis to go get it? Right, so that's your choice. That's your choice, and that's up to you. And that, and the way you do that, right, is going to impact other aspects of your life. Uh, Rav Melech has a great vort. He says, remember that puzzle we, we quoted earlier, right? That we said Maasachem is that Bnei Yisrael were Apikorsim, right? That they're. What does that mean? How, how does Rashi know that Masachem literally means your burdens, means that Bnei Yisrael Rabbi Korsen? It means that, yeah, if a person feels like he has burdens, that our Parnas is a burden, and uh, he needs a, there's a Rafua issue that's a burden, there's a Shiduchim is a burden, the Chinuch of your kids is a burden. It, if the person thinks it's a burden, and it's, up, it's only up to them, it's up to them alone to deal with these things, so yes, yeah, so then you're Rabbi Kores. If you don't have proper Emunah, that a Kosh Baruch who's got your back, that Kosh Baruch is going to help you and take care of all your burdens, right? We say in the extra tefillah, Shema when you're diving for Parnasa, we say, right? Throw your burdens on Hashem, and He'll take care of things. He'll support you. That's the message from the Pasuk, right? That Kosh Baruch is taking care of your Parnasa, right? Hashem is going to bless you with all of your actions, right? He's going to, God is with you, you're not going to be missing anything. So that's 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 the that's that's the the second vote from that positive. 
finally, finally, I just want to end off. Right? We uh, started up with uh, giving your friends Musr, so I want to end on a positive. And the flip side of giving your friends Musr uh, is lifting them up and raising them and being good to them. Pazik says at the end of the Parsha, Right, the, puzzle, the last puzzle in the parsha says, Lo ra'um. And Moshe tells Bnei Israel, don't be afraid of the nations in Eretz Yisrael when you go fight them for war. Ki Hashem hu lachem. Right, Hashem is going to fight for you. And immediately next week's parsha starts by Aschana, that Hashem davened, right, that Mo, Hashem Moshe davened to Hashem right, to let him into Eretz Yisrael. So Balaturim says, beautiful Balaturim, he says, what's the smichas of parshas? Why are those two things next to each other? So he says, Moshe thought that the chizuk that he gave on Yisrael that they're going to be able to conquer Eretz Yisrael. He was talking them up and making them feel, listen, you got this. So because of that, maybe Hashem would let him come into Eretz Yisrael. Right? And the schuss that he uplifted another person, an entire nation, right? that would override the decree that he wasn't allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael. Right? Unbelievable. Right? It's an unbelievable shot. That, that would be this, the, the thing that tipped the scales, just being good, giving someone some chizuk. Right? Rav Melech quotes the, very, the Beis Yosef. Right? Beis Yosef, Beis Yosef Karo, wrote the Shulchan Aruch. He says, you see how important it is to uplift your friends. If you see someone who's down, someone who could use a good word, someone who could use some chizuk, don't hesitate to reach out. And he proves this from, it's unbelievable how the simple Divrei Torah and the Parsha right, can, can just be the greatest messages. Right, the Parsha briefly, briefly references Bnei Amon and Bnei Moab, that Bnei Shal didn't go into their, into their lands. Uh, the halacha is, right, we see this later in Sefer Tzvarim, that Amon and Moab are not allowed to convert into the Jewish people, right? The males. The females are, right? That was Rus. Rus was from Moab. Uh, but the, the males are not allowed to convert into the Jewish people. Why not? So the Pesach says, right? Because when the Jews came out of Egypt, so the people of Ammon and Moab didn't bring them bread and water. And since they weren't good to you, Right, in the desert, so don't allow them to convert. We're not going to allow them. We're not going to do any good for them. They're not going to, we're not going to allow them to convert. Mida connected mida. Says Beis Yosef, two great points. First of all, that's intense. Okay, well, it's a big deal. They didn't come out with bread and water. Right, we, we, we see a lot of people walking by in the street. We don't offer them a glass of water. Okay, maybe we should, but that's a little harsh, no? Right, and even more than that, what in the, the, this is one of, I had never thought about this before. I read that puzzle a million times. I never thought about this. Did Bnei Israel need bread and water in the desert? They didn't need bread and water. Hashem was raining down bread every single day. They had a rock that spewed water out. What is even? They didn't need bread and water, right? So what in the what's a what's the big deal? What's the big deal? He was they, they didn't offer him stuff that we didn't need. Like oh, that's that's crazy. So the Beis Yosef says, yeah, the Pazik says. If you look at the Pazik again, I quoted it before, but Al Devar and he says, based on the word devar, devar is d- words or things, right? Diburim, it's because they didn't come with good words and consoling and comfort and good vibes, right? It's not, it wasn't about the food, right? It wasn't that it didn't come out to, yeah, they could have brought you food, but that they didn't come out to greet you and say, wow, 200 years in slavery, are you okay? Can I get you something? Says Rav Melech, how wild is this? A lack of courtesy, a lack of manners, a lack of being nice to someone else and no converting into the Jewish people. That's it, you're done. And it says of Melech even one step further. You think Bnei Israel needed their pat on the back? What did they, they need from Bnei Amma and Bnei Moab? They, they needed their kind words? So a bunch of, what did they need that for? So he, says, he says, unbelievable. You see, even the greatest, most powerful, most successful people enjoy Chizuk. And even if it comes from a nobody. Right? There's a story, he tells a story about the Slonim Rebbe. Went to a mikvah up in Tveria, and there was a known Meshuggah there. 
And Meshuga, a guy, you know, in Rachman a guy who's not all there. And the guy who was also in the mikvah, and then the Slomar Rebbe came in, and the guy said, All right, everybody, clear out. The Slomar is going to the mikvah now. And when he left, the Slomar Rebbe said, Listen, everybody, I want to tell you guys something. That even though that guy's Meshuga, I still had a tiny bit of, I felt good. Because that guy gave me a little bit of cover, gave me a little chizik, said, oh, the Rebbe's here. Right? Even, even the greatest enjoy chizik from the lowest. So it's so crucial, especially that we're, we're dealing with nowadays. Right? Not that you know, we're on any different level than our friends, but when we're dealing with the nine days and the Beis Amitish was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam, it's so crucial to go out of your way, to be nice to people, to compliment people, to smile at them. Now, listen, sometimes it could be inappropriate and full disclosure, I actually had to unlearn this when I started teaching girls because I had, you know, again, I, to, you learn from different places. Dale Carnegie is one of them. If you read Dale Carnegie's books and how to be nice uh, to people and make friends, etc. So one of the things he says is the one, of the way, one of the ways to make people like you is to compliment and, you know, just be nice to them as we're saying right now. Just give, you know, give a good word, smile, compliment. So I always used to try to compliment on a, on a yeshiva guy. He has a new shirt. He has shoes. It's not really so so appropriate for a guy, you know, a rough to say, "Hey, that's a nice dress or nice makeup." Right? That'd be bizarre and weird and off. So I had to unlearn that. Right? But so not if it's inappropriate. Not if it's you know, don't give any compliments if it's going to be weird. But certainly for you guys, you could be mechazik your friends in ways you cannot imagine. Right? If you know your friend just did their nails, right? So go out of your way and compliment them, even if you think they're hideous. Like she she clearly likes them. And she clearly wanted people to notice. So give her a compliment. If they got a new piece of clothing or uh, certainly uh, they got a car or something, I don't know. So say something. If you see that someone's down, give them a compliment. Give them a chizik. Say, you know, schmooze with them. Give them a smile. People need to be noticed. Right? It's extremely uplifting right? for someone else to compliment. Right? I'm sure you guys can think about it in your own life. You can, when someone gets a compliment, a smile, a good morning, it's very much uplifting. And certainly, again, if your friends are Rahman, if you see a friend who's down spiritually, relationship wise, professionally, if you give you mechadik them, right, with words, so matovu manoim, I just wanted to leave with that. Uh, that that if I you have to leave one thing from the shir, that over the weekend, right, if you have a you know, maybe a tough time relating to all this Tishbub stuff and it is definitely difficult to relate to, but one thing you could think about over the weekend is try and think about how on a daily basis you can pay more compliments, say more nice things, be mechazic people uh, with the extra ava, uh, and that Mitzhashem will surely be able to be Zoha to rebuild the by Shlishi Bimheraviamenu Amen. All right, it's great to see everybody again, and uh, have a great, great Shabbos.